Good morning. Come on in if you're coming in. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you so much for this day and thank you for your presence. God, just thank you that you're working in each one of our lives, that you don't forget a single one of us. You are faithful, loving, and we just want to praise you this morning for all of your wonderful attributes and for who you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing up, we'll sing to our Lord.
shifting and never changing, never disappointing, and never ashamed to us. We love you, Jesus, with our whole heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Can I have a seat? Morning. Good to see you here this morning. And uh, just a few announcements. It's great to be back. I was uh, out in California last week and uh, Got to watch uh, our online service, and everything went awesome, at least on the online part of it. And uh, so thank you guys. You did a great job. And uh, so we have lunch uh, today. Everybody's invited after, right after the service. And then uh, the women's study is going to resume February 6th, correct? Uh, yeah, or we'll thereabouts. That. Okay, sounds good and, to me. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we still our Wednesday study is still going. Uh, pizza at six thirty, and uh, the study at seven o'clock. We're working our way through First Samuel. It's good stuff. Um, what else we got? Clothing donations. We need clothes. Uh, we had it yesterday. We had our giveaway. You know, we do it every other Saturday, and uh, now uh, Greg's bringing a bunch of food as well because he's volunteering at this food pantry, and so. We've got like double the food we've had in the past and it's gone, it's going and quick. The neighborhood, the word's out. We don't even put the, get the signs out and people are showing up and, uh, and it's a great thing, but also the clothes. And so our racks are like pretty sparse, the clothing racks. So if you have clothes, uh, you need to clean out your closet or whatever, uh, um, we'd love to have it. It'll go to good use here for sure. Those got snatched up in seconds, yeah. so that, those might be... Yeah, so any kind of winter stuff, for sure, will go uh, quickly. And then what else we got? Uh, anybody have a praise report they want to share? Uh, all right. Uh, Tony's bringing the mic. Um, so, hi, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's great to be back. Um, so just a little bit of a background before I give praise to the Lord is that my parents, as you know, they've been away um, out of state. They um, kind of leave. They left here in a hurry because uh, my stepfather's fathers um, passed away at 94. So they kind of left in a hurry and wasn't prepared. So and, you know, Steve and my mom. Uh, have to be over there, take care of his uh, estate and, uh, you know, uh, the body and everything. So, yeah. Sure. But um, I'm so thankful. I praise the Lord that they got there right on time, right before he passed away. Uh -huh. um, they wouldn't let him see 
my parents, but they, at least they were able to talk on the phone. And um, I think he would just hang in. My, step, my step-grandfathers, he would just hang in on just right when my parents got there, just so he had a peace of mind that they're here with me in person before he, you know, before he left, um, bef- you know, before he passed. So, um, yeah, so now they've just been out there, but I'm so thankful that they got there safely, and I just pray that, you know, God brought them home safely as well. It's a long trip. They had to drive. Um, yeah, because it was so sudden, they just couldn't really book ticket and go through the whole airport and everything. So uh, they drive because there's a lot of stuff that they have to take back with them um, oh, on the way yeah. to. So uh, we, they decided to drive instead of um, flying. It's just a lot of a hassle for flying. Sure. So, yeah, I just want to give thanks to God that um, I guess that they got to say goodbye to their fathers before he passed. And uh, and they got there safely, and uh, and I'm so glad to be back here today and praise the Lord. Praise God. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. There it is. Well, there it is. Okay. Uh, so this is just for Mackenzie. Um, you know, they've been living out in Macon and. She and Mason both both have been driving an hour to work and an hour back home, and they're an hour from everything in their lives. So um, it, it was like just a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, you know, guys, your your lease is up in February, and they hadn't found a place. They were trying to move closer to his job, and um, his his boss was like, look, I'll I'll give you guys the money to move out here because he wants them close to right. because now they're in tax season. He's working ten hours a day. Oh yeah, six yeah. days a week. So, wow. um, so I was like, what are they gonna do? You know, are they gonna have to? Because they're either gonna have to renew their lease or find a place, and they hadn't found a place. And last week or a few days ago, actually, they finally found a house. It, it's a fairly new house. It's beautiful. It's it's very gonna be very comfortable. It's like twenty minutes from Mason's job. Still 35 minutes or so from Mackenzie's, uh, 35 to 40, but um, still a lot closer, and it's going to take a lot of stress off both of their lives, oh, and nice. they're going to be comfortable there. They can bring all their animals, and um, it's going to be a good thing. So I just praise the Lord for helping them find this place because, you know, I'm a worry. I'm like, I told my, you have less than a month. You're not going to be able to. Now you got to move in the middle of tax season. How are you going to do this? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. And it's all coming together. So awesome. praise the Lord. He's always got a plan. And they looked at a couple places that were, I was like, oh, Mackenzie, no. <laughs> you know, and she was like, yeah, I know, no. So God came through, as he always does. Awesome. I don't know Praise why God. I ever doubt him. Yeah, it's amazing. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Courtney's got her hand Good morning. Good. I always feel so awkward with the mic because I have such a teacher voice, so I feel like I don't need it. Um, so most everyone knows, but if not, I teach third grade. Um, this is my third year doing it. It's the best job in the world. But um, I just want to praise God for just allowing me to teach because there's nothing else I could do in this world that would make me as happy. But on Friday, man, my third graders, these third graders are going on like 35. And... They're so unkind to each other, and I, they are constantly fighting with each other. I mean, we sent a kid home on Friday that we thought was going to have to go get stitches. So it's tough. So I basically just scrapped. I teach math, so I scrapped my math lessons, and 
we did a kindness day. And we watched, there's this kid on YouTube named Kid President. If you ever have a bad day, just look him up. He will make you smile. I mean, like any video. So he does this thing, um, these videos, and one of them was 20 things you could say to someone today. So we watched the video. We talked about kindness. We talked about all that. And then I challenged them to use, to pick one phrase and use it throughout their day and then come back and report to me. And at the end of the day, it was such a blessing. These kids were coming up to these kids that I'm sending to the office for bullying and sending kids to the office for punching and hitting and putting hands on each other came up to me and said, Miss Garcia or Miss G, they always call me Miss G, Miss G, Miss G, I told this kid that he was a really good friend and then he smiled and I smiled and it was great. <laughs> and, and we have two new students and one of them comes from just a rough, a rough life. And he came up to me on Friday and he said, I had a really good day today and I, this, I love this school and I love it here. And someone was really nice to me. And so like just, y'all, I could cry. I love my kids. Um, so just like praise God that I got through these kids and like just a blessing to teach. Like there's, li I mean, there's just nothing else I could do in this life. So I just, just really thankful for it. So <laughs> if I could multiply myself, I would, but <laughs> thank you. All right, praise God. Anybody else? Oh, back there, Tracy's got her hand. All right, January 11th, Daniel and I went to the doctor, and I had been concerned about a few things. Get blood results back, and my liver is doing normal. It's doing better than it was when I had it checked the last time. Yeah. And apparently I'm healthy, so I'm, I'm praising God for that. Praise, Praise God. All right. All right. Go ahead. All right. You can flip me on real quick. There we go. I've sat here wrestling with whether I was going to share this or not, but I guess I'm going to. Um, I have all my life, since my 20s, uh, struggled with a series of um, panic attacks. It runs in my family. We've, my mom has them. My, my grandfather had them. It just runs in our line. And uh, it, it's like a flare-up, and it'll just flare up for a while. You know, flare up for a year, and then it'll, and it'll settle back down or, or whatever. And I've been medicated through the past. Um, I hate being medicated for it. But it started flaring up sometime last summer. And you guys might even remember there was a morning I had to step off the stage. It was so bad. I couldn't, I couldn't go on. And, um, and it, it has really ramped up in December. It really ramped up for, I don't, I don't know why, it just had really ramped up. Um, to the point where it was daily. It was, you know, and sometimes a couple of times a day I would have to step away from the homeschooling the kids or I would have to wake my husband up in the middle of the night and ask him to help me get through it or whatever. And, and it's just so debilitating. And about two weeks ago, I was in the car and I just, I was praising the Lord. I was listening to some worship music on the, on the radio and I was just by myself. And I just took that time to really just cry out to him. And I just laid it all out. And told him, I said, I can't serve you like this. I want to serve you. Free me from this so I can serve you, please. You know, it's, it's so hard to serve when you're feeling like you can't breathe or you're feeling like, you know, that just awful feeling. And um, I don't know why he chose to hear me in that moment, but it was gone. I mean, it's been gone for two weeks. I'm terrified to even say that out loud because I'm scared <laughs> that tomorrow I'm going to have, like, this big panic attack and I'm going to be like, oh, I guess I didn't heal me. But I'm going to just stand here and, and stand and, on, that, on that truth that he has brought healing to me. And it is so 
nice to feel like myself again. You know, it's so nice to feel like I can do the things that I love to do, and I love to serve my king. I love to serve him, and it was getting in the way in so many, so many ways. And so he just broke through all of that, and I just, I can't help but glorify him for it. And I promised him I would. <laughs> so I got to make good on that. I said, you fix this, Lord, and I will bring glory to your name for it. And, and he did. So he, he deserves it all. So when you guys applaud, applaud him loud, because it was all him. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> all right. Anybody else? So anybody have a, if you have a prayer need, uh, raise your hand, and we're going to get... If a few could gather around, Graham's got his hand up here, and Monica's got her hand up. And anybody else? So if a few could, could gather around, and then we will. We have a video. We're starting a new book, First Timothy, this morning, and then uh, Pastor Serge is going to come up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these praise reports, and we thank you for working in our lives and healing us and just doing amazing things, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you hear us now as we just lift one another up to you, Father.
Lord, thank you for this this time of prayer. Lord, thank you for the praises, the healings, Lord, the, the way you've come through for us. Even uh, when we don't see how you're going to do it, you still come through. Lord, for the healings, for safe travel, and Lord, just uh, the timing of everything you do. Uh, Father, we thank you for that, and we thank you for our, our fellow um, soldiers in Christ to uh, help us battle um, through prayer. And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for this time, in Jesus' name. Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul spent many years traveling about and starting new churches, and he developed a large team of co-workers in this mission. Timothy was one of these. Paul was once in the city of Lystra, and he met Timothy's faithful mother and grandmother, and he was impressed by Timothy's passion and devotion to Jesus. And so Paul mentored him for many years and eventually started sending him on missions to different churches. And so when Paul got word about a group of leaders who infiltrated the influential church in Ephesus, they were spreading incorrect views about Jesus and what it means to follow him, he sent Timothy to confront these leaders and restore order to this church. So after Timothy arrived there, Paul sent this letter to follow up and instruct him on how to fulfill this mission. The letter has a really cool design. There's an opening and closing commission to Timothy to go confront these leaders and their bad theology. And then these surround two large central sections that are full of really practical instructions about the problems that Timothy faced in the Ephesian church. And then finally, all these sections are linked together or concluded by a series of three poems that each exalt the risen Jesus as the king of the world. Let's dive in and you'll see how it works. Paul opens by recalling how he sent Timothy to Ephesus to confront these leaders who were spreading their strange teaching. And he describes how these guys are obsessed with speculating about the Torah, specifically the early stories and genealogies in the book of Genesis. And as we'll see, they had developed all kinds of weird teachings about food and marriage and sex that weren't consistent with the teachings of Jesus or the apostles. He even names some of these people, Alexander and Hymenaeus, and he describes how their teaching has divided the church, it's generated controversy. And Paul says this is actually the first clear sign that their teaching is distorted. When genuine Christian teaching is done, it's faithful to the way of Jesus and it results in love and genuine faith. And he says the purpose of the Torah anyway isn't to fuel speculation. Rather, its purpose is to expose the truth about the human condition, as it did for Paul. Correct teaching about the Torah will lead people to see the grace of God revealed in the Messiah who came to save sinful, broken people. And so Paul closes here with a poem that honors King Jesus over all, and he calls Timothy to shut these men and their false teaching down. He then addresses very specific problems in this church caused by the false teachers. First of all, he calls Timothy to hold regular church prayer gatherings, to pray for the governing leaders of Rome, and for peace. Because peace in the land, it creates an ideal setting for Jesus' followers to keep spreading their message about the God of peace, who wants all people to be saved, the God who sent Jesus as the only mediator to give his life as a ransom for all. In contrast to the false teachers, Paul reminds Timothy that God wants to rescue the whole world, and prayer is going to keep this at the forefront of their minds. Paul then addresses problems related to men and women who are being influenced by these corrupt leaders in Ephesus. So he first shuts down a group of men who were getting drawn into angry theological disputes started by the teachers. He says these guys should learn how to pray. 
Then he confronts a group of wealthy women in the church who were treating the Sunday gathering like a fashion show. They were dressing so upscale that they would shame most of the other people who couldn't afford such a wardrobe. And not only that, but some of these women were also usurping leadership positions in the church and they were teaching others the bad theology of the corrupt teachers. And so Paul shuts these women down. He says they should not teach or lead in the church. And then he goes on to explore the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent from Genesis chapter 3. Now, this is one of those sections in Paul's letters where, like Peter said, he's kind of hard to understand. There are many different views about what Paul meant here. Some think that Paul is prohibiting women from ever teaching or leading men in any church, and that his comments about Adam and Eve are about how God has ordered that only men should be leaders in the church. There are others who think that Paul is prohibiting women from having leadership authority over men in a church, but that once educated women should and can teach as leaders in a church under male leadership. And there are still others who think that Paul is only prohibiting these women in Ephesus, and that his comments about Adam and Eve are a comparison of how these women have been deceived by the false teachers. Whichever view you take, Paul is clear that these Ephesian women need to come under Timothy's leadership and get a proper theological education. And the goal is to help them grow so that they could one day become like the outstanding female ministers that Paul mentions in his other letters, like Phoebe or Junia or Priscilla. Paul continues to address this leadership crisis, and he calls Timothy to appoint a small, healthy team of husbands and fathers who will act like elders or overseers for the church. These should be men of outstanding character and integrity, and they will work alongside a team of deacons. It's a Greek word that means servant. And these are men and women who actually lead and do the ministries of the church, and they are to have the same kind of character as the elders. And all together, these people should be known for healthy relationships in their families, because that will demonstrate their ability to lead in the church, which is God's family. And the way of life that they live all together, it's consistent with the story about Jesus, which is explored in the closing poem, about his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation as king, and then the spread of his new family throughout the whole world. Paul's second body of instructions for Timothy are, again, very specific to the problems caused by these bad leaders. So he first corrects their bad theology. They've been telling people to stop eating certain kinds of foods, most likely meat, and to stop getting married, which Paul thinks is ridiculous. So he goes to Genesis 1, and he reminds Timothy that God's entire creation is very good, including food and marriage. It is all to be received with gratefulness by those who know and give thanks to the Creator. Paul then moves on to address problems about the church's care of widows. So this very important ministry was being taken advantage of by younger, wealthy widows, most likely the same troublemaking women from chapter 2. They would sign up for the church's support, but then spend their days sleeping around, spreading gossip, and damaging the church's reputation in the city. Paul is having none of it. He says that only older widows that have no other family support qualify, and for these, the church should show the love and generosity of Jesus. Paul then addresses problems among some older men in the church, and Timothy is to respect their age but not their misbehavior, which seems to be alcohol-related. They're damaging the church's reputation in Ephesus. And so Timothy is in love to confront them and have them step down if they're in leadership. 
And then Paul adds this interesting side note that this doesn't mean that Timothy himself should never drink. Given his stomach problems, he should probably have a glass of wine each night with dinner. Paul then addresses a problem among Christian slaves. Some of them were disrespecting their Christian masters. And so, yes, the gospel creates equality among Jesus' followers. However, Paul thinks that equality needs to be implemented in a strategic way that doesn't compromise the mission and witness of the church. If Christians become associated with slave rebellions, they are compromised. The Christian transformation of the Roman household had to be implemented strategically so that their neighbors could be persuaded and not repulsed by this new vision of God's family. Finally, Paul closes the letter by calling Timothy again to confront the corrupt leaders. Paul here exposes their motives to make lots of money by accumulating followers and then charging them all high rates for their teaching. These teachers betray Jesus and his message of contentment and simple living. And so Paul instructs the wealthy Ephesian Christians to become rich in good works and generosity, to be people who submit all of their resources to King Jesus, and he's the one who inspires the final poem about how he is the true king above all other kings. First Timothy is a really important letter. It helps us gain a holistic vision of the nature and mission of the church. So what a Jesus community believes will directly shape how that community lives and behaves in its city. And so its theology, its beliefs have to be constantly critiqued and formed by the scriptures and the good news about Jesus. And how the church is perceived in public is also very important to Paul. Christians should be known as people who are full of integrity, known for good works, known for serving the poor and the most vulnerable, all out of devotion to the risen King Jesus. And that's what 1 Timothy is all about. All right, good morning, everybody. So, as you can see, we're going to be in 1 Timothy, um, trying to get through chapter 1 today. Uh, so go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, while you're doing that, I thought I'd let you know that uh, one of my first jobs, actually when I was a youngster, was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. I just just couldn't concentrate, so yeah. That's what I want. The groans and the laughs, yes. Combos, best. All right, so we're going to start off. I'm going to go ahead and read the chapter in full, and then we'll kind of dive in, uh, if you don't mind. So starting off here in verse 1, I'll be reading out of the NIV. Uh, so 1 Timothy 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the command of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. 
We also know that the law is not is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which... He entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this time we have in your word. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for just being able to do this. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunities we get to serve you and, and to minister to your people. And Father, I pray that this word here just be completely and totally from you, and that it be from your heart and Lord, just use me as that vessel to communicate um, your love and your mercy and your grace to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, right off the bat, we have Paul once again saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of our God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So here he calls himself an apostle by the command of God. In other letters, he says that he is apostle either by the will of God or called to be an apostle, or he says he's sent by Jesus in some of the other epistles. Now, being an ex-army grunt, I understand following a command. Uh, we follow the commands of our superior officers, even if it means going into harm's way. Uh, they know the battle plan, they know the strategy, they know the overall mission. So... We would follow that plan and follow it even though our officers were mere men. Now, Paul had an advantage over me and other soldiers. He was following the commands of the Lord, of God. And he knew, for beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he could trust God completely. God knows the battle, battle plan from beginning to end. He knows his enemy's battle plan and his strategy. The thing is, God knows he's going to win. 
Paul followed God's command even when it meant being beaten and shipwrecked and jailed and then finally martyred. There are times when the Lord will, will nudge us in a certain direction and then there's other and then maybe suggest a course of action for us or a course we should go. And then there's times where he will just command us to do something. Maybe it's talk to a certain person or visit somebody or do a certain ministry or go on a mission or maybe move to another state, whatever it is. We need to be careful. We need to make sure we, we carry out that command and obey that command, even if it seems scary. And why is that? Well, it's because we can trust God completely. Will it be easy? Maybe. Sometimes. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. We have to follow that command. Why do we need to follow it again? Because it will be fulfilling. Because you will be doing what God created you for. Verse 2. He says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, so it, it's possible here that Paul was the one to actually lead Timothy to Christ. You know, even though we know from here that uh, he grew up in Timothy grew up in a Christian home, his, his mother and grandmother were believing Jews, and I'm sure they taught him the scriptures and they taught him about Jesus. Um, but parents, you may not be the one who actually leads your kids to Christ. Uh, I myself, I did not lead my kids to Christ. Um, our kids grew up in a Christian home. We went to Christian schools. Uh, we attended church regularly. And they had family around them who were and are believers. Uh, grandparents, uncles, aunts, their Nino and Nina, they were all believers. Uh, my son actually gave his life to Christ uh, as a little guy. Uh, at church, there was a special service going on with a special guest. And um, he was sitting right next to me, and I felt his little hand go up when the lady, um, I, think, I believe she was a musician, actually, um, gave the invitation. Um, and then she later came and confirmed it to me. She came down and told me, hey, your son raised his hand when I gave that invitation. I thought, oh, that's so cool. My daughter, actually, she gave her life to Christ at chapel at school when she was little. Uh, my buddy was a uh, guest speaker. He's also a pastor. He was the guest speaker that day at chapel, and she gave her life then. And what's funny, I didn't even know about that until just a little bit before she was baptized. We were getting ready. To, the kids wanted to be baptized, and I was like, wait, does she even know? Has she accepted Christ? I didn't know. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. She did that, you know, a while ago. And I'm like, really? The, no one's going to tell me this? It's, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Of all things to forget to tell me. You know, <laughs> it's just okay. So that was that's how my kids came to Christ. Now I do wish, you know, I was the one that led them to Christ. And maybe I did indirectly, you know. Um and here again in this verse we have grace and peace, the Siamese twins of the New Testament. They're always in that order, but here Paul inserts mercy. Now remember that grace is getting what we don't deserve, right? And then mercy is not getting what we deserve. So what is it that we in our sins really deserve? Punishment, death, the eternal damnation, all that stuff, right? So here it seems like for Timothy, he's, who he calls his true son in the faith, 
Paul not only prays for grace and peace for him, but also mercy. And I'm sure you guys as parents, I know I do, we always want to pray for, for mercy for our kids, right? Um, maybe not so much those other kids, you know, those Dennis the Menace type kids. We want them, you know, Lord, get them and handle them, right? Um, but our own kids are like, oh, Lord, please have mercy on little Billy's little sinful little soul, you know, you know, take care of him. But uh, here, you know, Paul is wanting mercy for Timothy. You know, Paul had no children. So it seems like he kind of saw Timothy as his, like, adopted son, so to speak, who's to carry on Paul's mission. So maybe that's why he kind of inserted that mercy in this particular letter. Verses 3 and 4. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So Paul here gives Timothy instructions to stay and correct certain people from speaking false doctrine. Now, Timothy's dedication... His mission cannot be questioned. Why do I say that? Acts 16, verses 1 through 3, it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So to me, it's unbelievable that Timothy was what he was willing to do here. Circumcision as a young man. Okay, It's one thing to have that done when you're a baby, right, fellas? You don't remember that. I don't. It's completely different as an adult. Now, the only thing I can think of is Timothy really must have looked up to Paul to be willing to do this. You know, now... It doesn't matter how highly I think Rob or his skill with tools, I am not letting him near my junk with a knife. It's just, I'm just not, okay? So, but also, you know, look at the love it took for Timothy to go through with that, the love for his people. Now, he did it because, as it says, because of the Jews that lived in the area. Now, I doubt any Jew he ministered to was going to, you know, check, to see if you know he was really circumcised but i think he did it for a clear conscience because you know they may not have you know like lifted up his 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 his, his clothing to take a look to prove it you know, but they're probably going to ask him you know a hey, half breed are you are you circumcised and he could honestly he could honestly answer yes i am so what we need to see here is that entering ministry will take sacrifice. It's going to take time. It'll take, it's physical, emotional, financial, something. So one of those type of things is, is the things that you're going to sacrifice. It takes time to prepare lessons, whether it's adults or kids. Kids may be even more difficult to prep for. It takes time to prepare song sets. It takes time to practice your instruments. It takes time to rehearse. Missions can be physically taxing, whether you're building casitas or prepping a clothing giveaway. Uh, renovating a building for ministry takes lots of hard work. It can take an emotional toll on you because you're dealing with broken people. 
people who are hurting and healing, and quite frankly, even people who are just looking to manipulate and take an advantage, you know, those folks can take an emotional toll. Financially, I mean, things aren't cheap. Instruments are not cheap. I know, I bought my daughter a violin. I had to make payments on that doggone thing. Uh, music lessons aren't cheap. Books aren't free. Software prog programs aren't free. Not all of them, anyway. Um, getting here costs you money. You got to put a tank of gas in your yeah. You got to put a tank of gas in your car, right? You got to fill that thing up. I've seen people make some or all of these kinds of sacrifices with a common thread. They did so out of love for people for people of God, the people that God was trying to reach to and reach out to and minister to. Ministry also will take integrity. Timothy could honestly answer yes if he was asked if he was circumcised. Ask yourself this, am I doing what I should for my ministry when nobody's looking? Am I practicing my instrument? Am I properly prepping my lessons? Am I Prepping the clothing, am I prepping the food correctly? Am I in the word of God, sticking to the true doctrine of the Bible? Clearly, Timothy had to deal with those who weren't devoted to God's word. They were getting into all kinds of things, adding their own doctrines, coming up with new insights and ideas, you know. And you've probably heard that if it's new, it's probably not true and if it's true, it's probably not new. You guys may have heard that one before. Now, there'll be plenty of those who will claim, I've got this new, you know, previously unrevealed insight. You know, just stick with the simple truth of the Bible. Don't look at any other doctrine. And pass on the truth that you learn. There's no need to come up with, you know, some new insights or anything like that. I kind of struggled with that concept myself, especially as I started teaching and, and really when I started doing this. I would learn things from other people, from other pastors and things, and I wanted to share them, but I didn't want to sound like a straight plagiarist. You know, I didn't want to do that. And so I thought, well, there's got to be something else in here, something that, you know, that I didn't see before, there's got to be more. That was just pride. That's all that was, it was just pride. You know, when you have several different commentators, pastors in agreement on a passage, that's got to be the Lord, right? It's got to be Him. You know, learn it, accept it, and pass it on. Uh, verses 5 and 6. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. So our goal, no matter what God commands us to do, is love. Uh, John thirteen thirty four says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Second John 1, 5 says, And now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Our motivation, no matter what we do, should come from a heart purified by the Lord. Being sincere to the calling which the Lord has given you, given me, given us. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. An undying love. 
you know, we can't let ourselves be turned this way and that way by by people who make things that aren't important a huge deal, right? Like what day to have church service or what food to eat, like we saw on the video, you know, they were talking about you shouldn't marry, you shouldn't eat meat, things like that. I've heard it referred to as majoring in the minors, right? They'll make such a focus on those things that they turn away or forget what's really important to saving souls, which is what we need to be doing. Verses 7 through 11. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now you'll read, I didn't have a slide here for this one, but you'll read in Romans 7, verses 7 through 12, that what the law is good for is it's good as a mirror. You know, we can't really see what's going on with our face, right, without help, either from a friend or from a mirror. You know, you, gotta, you can check to see if you got food in your teeth or in your beard. You know, you can check your makeup. Uh, you can check your hair. Well, you all can check your hair. Um, can see if you got a booger in your nose, you know, things like that, right? But you can use two of them, right, to kind of check the back of your head, see if what's going on back there. You know, I need it sometimes to make sure I got everything, you know, when I'm shaving. Um, there was an interesting story recently about a hockey fan who spotted a suspicious mole on the back of a Vancouver Canucks assistant equipment manager. It was on the back of his neck. And she had her phone and she typed a message to him so he could see through the glass, hey, you have a weird-looking mole on your neck. You might want to get it checked out. And he was, like, not sure what to do with that, but it kind of just was on his mind. And he had his wife look at it. And sure enough, she said, well, maybe you should go get it checked out. So he did. He goes get it checked out. They remove it. And they did a biopsy on it. And sure enough, it was cancer. It was a cancerous mole. And his doctor told him, well, I mean, it's, it wasn't an immediate danger, but if you had let this go and fester and not, you know, take care of it, you would, probably wouldn't be here in three or four years. Um, the law shows us what we are inside. It puts a mirror right up to our face. It's meant to show us our desperate need for a savior. The law wasn't a set of rules for us to follow to make us perfect, to make us righteous. Uh, Hebrews 7.19 says, The law makes nothing perfect. What the law is, it then tells us here, is the law is there as a schoolmaster teaching us God's holy standard. That's what it's for. It keeps people from letting sin run amok in their lives. Could you imagine if, if we didn't have even the Ten Commandments around how people would behave without even that. Just simply that. How sin would just be run amok in people's lives. Galatians 3.24 says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. 
You know, just like that fan who spotted that cancerous mole, the law points out the cancerous sin in our lives. And like the doctor who removed that mold, that mole, Jesus, the great physician, removes spiritually cancerous sin from our souls. Verses 12 and 14. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord is, was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here Paul is thankful. We need to be thankful as well for the opportunities that we have to minister to others in whatever way that is that we have that opportunity. You know, however you're serving, God considered you trustworthy. In Paul speaking to, of his service to the church, he said in Colossians 1.25, he says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. It's God who commissions people to serve. It's His commission. Remember, it's God who will give you the strength needed to fulfill the calling He has appointed for you. He's, if He's going to commission you to do something, He's going to give you everything you need to accomplish that mission. Now, maybe you think, God don't want to use you because you're too tainted, you got too many skeletons in your closet, whatever. Paul has news for you. Paul was chosen to be an apostle, even though he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Acts 8.3 says, but Saul, who changed his name to Paul, the Lord changed his name to Paul, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women to put them in prison. These were people who believed in Jesus. He was there approving the stoning of Stephen. He kept an eye on the guy's coat so their arms would be free so they can throw them rocks. You can read that in Acts 20, 20, or 22, 20. And Paul thought he was right in what he was doing, persecuting the church. He was sincere in his belief in doing this, but he was sincerely wrong. But God corrected him. In mercy, Jesus knocked Paul off his high horse. In grace, the Lord revealed himself to him. Gave him a new purpose and a new calling. Paul says later on in 2 Timothy 1, uh, he says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now maybe like Paul, you've been sincere in your beliefs, but the Lord has shown you that you're wrong, dead wrong. Hopefully, he didn't have to slap you down, you know, for that to happen. And, or maybe he did, who knows. Um, either way, be thankful for it. And, and earnestly seek Him, and honestly seek Him. If you've had some, some off-the-wall ideas or out-there ideas about who God is, honestly and earnestly seek Him and, and have Him show you who He really is. I'm sure you'll find that He's full of grace and love, 
and that he's ready to give that grace and love to you. Verses 15 and 16, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You know, the closer Paul got to Jesus the more he realized what a sinner he really was in comparison. He saw himself as the worst sinner on the planet. You know, a veteran Christian once told me back in my 20s that he says, the older I get in the Lord, the more wicked my heart becomes. And I know now what he's talking about. You know, the closer you get to the Lord, the, the clearer you see his holiness. And... It, when you try to compare yourself to that, it's not even close. Not even close. And maybe you feel like Paul, like the absolute worst of sinners, completely lost. There's good news. Jesus specializes in seeking the lost. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. It doesn't matter how far you think you've gone or how far gone you think you are. Jesus is looking for you to show you his mercy and his grace. Why would he do that? As an example, like Paul says here, if he can save Paul, he can save anybody. It's the same reason he saved you. That's why he saved me. So people can look and say, man, if he can save her, I guess anybody can be a Christian, right? If God, if God can use that guy at the pulpit who looks like he used to be on the receiving end of the prison ministry, I guess he can use me too. You left way too hard at that. <laughs> and so, knowing that, verse 17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God gets the praise for the change in our lives and how he uses us. We couldn't do it, but he did. Finally, our last couple verses. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the promise, prom, prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have so suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So it looks like Timothy was given a prophecy of some kind about himself, maybe as a youngster or something like that. Um, words of prophecy are words of edification, exhortation, instruction, and direction. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But one, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. From this, I kind of came away with, you know, pray for your kids, guys. Pray over your kids. And listen to what the Word says about them. And tell them what that is. You know, how can they follow God's path unless we try to show it to them? Right? Allow the Lord to show us, and then we show it to them as well. Hold on to your faith. 
by understanding and embracing what Christ did on that cross, the more you understand what he did, what he accomplished there, the easier it is to, and the more you want to hold on to that and hold on to your faith. You know, let the word of God guide your ship, thus avoiding shipwreck. Don't end up like these two, Hymenius and Alexander, you know, where Paul finally had to pray for the protect, God's protective hedge to be removed so that maybe they could learn their lesson the hard way. Let Satan beat on them for a little while. And maybe they'll come back and to Jesus and teach the way they're supposed to. As the worship team comes up, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for you guys. I've, I think that a lot of times we can get really far off into some, some crazy teachings or whatever, or we can feel like, you know, we're just not worthy of doing anything for Christ, or that even Christ would even look our way. Why would he want to save us? For his glory. Why would he want to use us? For his glory. You know? And when we fulfill that thing, when we fulfill what he's called us to do, we'll be fulfilled. Because we're doing what he created us for. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for for this letter to Timothy, the encouragement in it, Lord, the, the, the warnings in it, the lessons in it. Um, Father, I ask that you help us hold on to the faith. Lord, help us to understand more and more what you did on that cross for us. Father, help us, those of us that maybe have not looked to you before, Lord, to, Lord, just help us to know that no matter how lost we think we are, you're out there seeking us. You're looking for us. You want us to turn to you and that you'll never quit. You will keep seeking the lost, that one sheep. You will keep on seeking no matter what. So Lord, we love you for that. We just praise you for the way that you've used us, the way that you've changed so many of us, and how you're going to continue to change us and make us more like you. Lord, make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, uh, go ahead and come on up. Myself, Rob, will be up here. Um, let's worship the Lord. Man, you ever feel so in love with Jesus, you just want to come out of your skin? I am feeling it today. The Lord is so good. I can't wait to praise him. Y'all stand up and praise him with us.
Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you loved us enough to die for us so that we could be set free. We praise you in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the food for our lunch today. We thank you for the hands that have prepared it. And God, we pray that just during our time of fellowship that your praise will be on our lips. Thoughts of you and your goodness will be on our mind and that you will use the unity of the Holy Spirit in this place to bind us even closer together as brothers and sisters. We thank you, Lord. You give all good gifts. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Enjoy your lunch.